1: and frankly appalling language. And sometimes tales are quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. You're listening to FP Interviews. In-depth conversations with interesting people. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix.
2: right, there, football fans, and welcome to Footy Prime, the podcast. It's I-N-T-V-U. Interview, it's Tuesday. I'm James Sherman. Brendan Dunlop's here. Jimmy Brennan's here. Ricky Mouse is here, as his uh, little uh, caption says on this call. That's JC. No Wonga today. Craig might join us later on, but likely no Craiger today as well. But that's okay. It's going to be a fun show. How you doing, boys? Good. I'm excited. It's a a championship final Tuesday, buddy. A real
1: championship. It is, yeah.
2: Ahead of, ahead of tonight's Canadian Championship final between Toronto and Vancouver, a, a quick question to all our listeners out there. TFC are eyeing their ninth Voyagers Cup. Ninth. When was their first? Answers on a postcard to Dan Wong at 76 Queen Elizabeth Way. Um, <laughs> joking aside, do you know when the first one was, Jimmy, by chance? and.
3: Nine. or was it eight well done how, how do you know that <laughs> well, are you actually questioning it june no, the 18th 2009
2: around. and the legendary miracle in montreal a game which apparently jimmy played in um that's yet to be confirmed uh, b had no idea when that was first mentioned uh, listen here's here's
3: questions. i've got to say i got to say something now right we're texting the other night okay on our group chat and i said i can't remember who was who was in the who was the goalkeeper for that match was it was it suds and right away he goes Stefan fry but three weeks prior to that he actually asked if i was playing so you know Stefan <laughs> fry was playing but you didn't have a clue i was playing
1: <laughs>
3: oh, Brilliant.
1: you know, Brilliant. You know just, there's a lot up here in the knowledge bank jimmy and i'm sorry that uh, that just got moved to the vault
2: the important side. stuff seeps out like who's playing in these big games amongst your friends and uh, Chapter names from your book—they they slip out. That's okay, B. That's okay. We love you anyway. Um, today's guest, though, is he, a man well known to the Canadian MLS faithful, having managed the Whitecaps for around five years. More recently, he, he's plied his trade down under in Australia, but to TFC diehards, he's fondly remembered as a founding member for the first three seasons and was on the pitch with our very own Jimmy Brennan, by the way, and Danny Dickio in the aforementioned miracle. In Montreal, back on Friendly Confines, it's Carl Robinson. Robbo, welcome to Footy
4: Prime. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to see you all. All
2: right. So let's just first of all set up the miracle in Montreal. We get to a bunch of stuff today, Robbo. All right. But back then it was a league table system. The impact was still in the A-League. And TFC had to win by four clear goals. Montreal got 1-0. Oh, God. Here we go again. TFC, right? Final Jimmy's score Montreal
4: won. that was. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy's of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> it
2: was a penalty, right? Did you
3: give the penalty away, Jimmy? No, Robbo gave the ball away and I had to run back and try to make a tackle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in the end, though, 6-1, 6-1 TFC beat Montreal and win their first Voyagers Cup. Listen, Robbo, you've had a long career, you know, a number of leagues, teams. Um, that, that must rate pretty highly, though, in your career highlight list.
4: Yeah, arguably one of the best. Obviously, the first time you win it is is always one that you remember. But I think it was just the setting. You know, we, we went to the game where I think it was, a, as you said, it was a league format. We knew we needed to win the game. But to win the game by five goals or four goals, we needed to. And we probably hadn't scored four goals in in five games put together prior to that rather than that one game. So we knew we were up against it. But, you know, there was, there was maybe too many stories that, fell into our way you know I remember the Vancouver Whitecaps were sitting there at the game in yeah. the stands waiting to collect their trophy and you know we, we had some experienced wise heads you know in our team and Jimmy was one of them as well and when you look at that you know it just gives you a little bit of extra motivation yeah, they, that, they want they, that got they, us it, going it. didn't it it did yeah and, and it was said we said listen they've come to lift the trophy well let's you know let's crash the party and Actually, how it happened was crazy, but you know we certainly did it.
2: When did you find out that they were in attendance? Was it was it well before kickoff? Was it you know in the room just before the game? When
4: I think it was just before kickoff. Uh, obviously, I think they had a couple of Canadian boys that you know Jimmy was was mates with as well, and and we knew that there was one or two going to be at the game, which you expect because it's a big occasion for whichever team wins it, but. To have the whole, and I don't know whether they were playing Montreal a couple of days later as well. So maybe they flew over early to, um, you know, play that game. But as it happened, you know, it gave us extra motivation. We didn't need any extra in that game anyway. You know, we needed a miracle. And that's why it was called the miracle of Montreal. We needed a bit of luck. And we needed our big players to step up. And that's certainly what happened.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, the thing is too, Rob, I remember seeing them. and Because we, we we were talking about it before the match. Right. Exactly what Robbo was saying. Right. It just got us going a little bit. And then when you saw them sitting there in their track suits and you can yeah. see they all had little smiles on their faces, giggling, laughing. And it was just winding us up even more thinking there's there's no way that we're handing that trophy over today.
4: Well, I think they, they actually probably thought there is no way that Toronto FC can score five goals, you know. Oh, <laughs> History had suggested that we weren't able to, you know, it took us four games to score one goal, Never mind five goals in That's one right. game. So, you know, let's be real about it. You know, the, uh, all the gods were against us, uh, but when you've got a group of players that believe and you've got a little bit of luck and you've got a little bit of quality and know-how, it certainly helps.
3: I remember they also had uh, sergeant was in goal. Remember yeah. him? So yeah, he was in goal could. and we knew as well that we could get <laughs> in his head and we were chirping the whole game at him. Every time he was grabbing the ball, corner, set set pieces, we were walking by, giving him a nudge, getting in his ear. And they they also played a, a few young boys as well.
4: They did. And yeah. I think that was one of the arguments Vancouver had, if you delve a little bit deeper yeah. into it, was, you know, they rotated their squad, which, you know, I'd done prior to that as well since being a manager. and And Jimmy will tell you he does as well in Cups. You know, you sometimes have to rotate for whatever reason. It's a, it's a lose-lose because people think that you should play your strongest team every minute of every game. It's just not possible. So they made that decision. Um, you know, that was their decision as a football club, Montreal. We took advantage of it.
2: So you're down 1-0, though. And given the fragility, I imagine, of the squad, given what's happened the previous you know couple of years, I mean, it would have been easy, or I wouldn't say expected. It was an A League team, but understandable for, for TSC to crumble at that point. But you didn't. Like, where was that inner resolve on that particular night?
4: Well, again, I think you know the one th- thing that sticks in my mind was it was a, a shitty goal as well we gave away, and at that time we were conceding too many goals to be honest as a, as a team, and we were getting a little bit frustrated. And this was a, a chance where we needed to keep a clean sheet if we were going to win the trophy and then when we went 1-0 down I remember walking back to the halfway line and and just having a look up at the stand and and the guys were there in their tracksuits, standing up clapping the the Vancouver boys and I just thought you know what it's probably done at that time but we just needed to try and get a goal before half time to make it a little bit interesting but I I generally believe I think we got two goals before half time which certainly put the cat amongst the pigeons and, and things like that but sometimes you need a little bit of luck in football I know people talk about it all the time and you know, there's narratives that people say and there's slogans and there's uh, bulletin board material that they like to use and that. like it wasn't, it wasn't like that for us. It was just a case of we were proud to play for Toronto. We wanted to win a trophy for the club. Uh, it, was, it was our second, third year, second year as we were going into MLS uh, and we had a little bit of luck. Yeah.
3: I, I also remember as well, Rob, I the to pitch and, and we, we did. We had a lot of older experienced players as well And it did take us a while to get a rhythm in the game. It took us a while. And eventually when I think we all looked at each other and said, and just went, let's fucking go here. Let's roll the sleeves up now. And once we started getting that rhythm, we got a tempo going and, and that was it. That's when we, we took control of the game and it, but it just took us a while to, to really get a hold of the match. The same,
4: before we well, start I, getting their goals. Listen, every, every game, as you know, is different. You know, yeah. in the first half, we, we played okay. And to play okay and be 2-1 up at half time was was actually ooh, a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for us. If we would have gone in 1-0 down at half time, oh, who yeah. knows? We might have lost 2-3, 2-3-0. No. But you just, these things happen. What I will say about that team with, with Jimmy, with myself, with with the Wolf, Amada Guevara, with you know, Dero with Syria. you know, we had a couple of boys who could actually call each other out. And when you say call each other out, listen, if Jimmy wasn't defending right or the winger was getting at him and beating him left, right, whatever you want to say, I'd say to Jimmy, what are you doing? Just defend properly. If I was giving the ball away, which I did many times, he would call me out for giving the ball away. So, And you take it as a big boy. You know, you understand that's part of the the process of being a footballer uh, and you take it in the right way. It's trying to make you better. It's trying to make the team better. So we had a a couple of guys that were able to dig each other out in the right way, but also push each other on. And we knew with momentum, and momentum is a massive thing in football, that if we could get on on a roll and play on our front foot and make them defend and put the goalkeeper under pressure because we knew the goalkeeper surge. If one went in and two went in and three went in, then, you know, every little ball becomes a little bit vulnerable. We were able to do that bit by bit. So we kept chipping away. Um, but there was a genuine belief. I, I don't know if you remember Jimmy at halftime with, with the gaffer back then, Chris Cummins. We, we could do it. We were 2-1 up at time. We still needed to score three goals. But we actually, I think for the first time or one of the first times, we believed we could do it because yeah. they were there for the taking. And, and that's something that sticks with you as a, as a player as well as a coach and a manager because sometimes you just know. And at that at that moment in the game at half time, I just knew that we were going to win it.
3: Yeah, could
1: feel the momentum like through the television screen watching it. And I think Dero had uh, that overhead kick. I can't remember if that was the the, the third goal in the second half. For that was uh, in the first half, and then Gavaro with that great strike, the free kick. Like there was some yeah. nice goals in that miracle too. Yeah,
4: there was. Uh, as I was mentioned some players there. You you, you just touched on Wolf, the Wolf and uh, Dero top players. Top players, good people as well. The Wolf was one of my favorites. He, <laughs> he was,
3: was brilliant, wasn't
4: he? It's <laughs> he, hard to explain what he was like, but what a player. What a Billy. I love playing in midfield next to him. He just wanted the ball all the time. He complained if he didn't get the ball all the time, but he looked at you with a wry uh, smile on his face. Hmm. Uh, in MLS now, as a number 10, what a player this boy would be, the Wolf. Um, you know, great talent. And d scores goals. Dero yeah. is Dero, you know. If you speak to Dero today, he'll have scored two goals or three goals in the Miracle in Montreal. You speak to him tomorrow, and he would have scored four goals. You know, Row <laughs> is about goals, goals, goals. Um, but without his natural goals, natural hat trick, right?
2: In that match, how was yeah, Dero to play with? I mean, he was a maverick, right? I mean, was he easy to play with? Obviously, he had the you know guy you could rely on getting in the ball. But was he was he difficult to,
4: to play with? he was a nightmare. There, <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, you go first. he was a nightmare. <laughs> he was—he was. He was it's, it's uh, drifted it, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you know what? was—he was a select player. Uh, great, great ability. All right, and once you got to know Dero as a person and understood what he was like, his traits, <laughs> his characteristics. Yeah. You enjoyed playing with him, but you need—you you knew you had to keep the reins on him. You know, I had him at New York Red Bulls as well mm-hmm. when he when he joined me there. We traded. Had, Dax, uh, Dero for Dax McCarthy, who was at DC and come that way. And Dero then at a point to prove because him and Henri didn't fit in the same team because the little pockets that they like to get into, those were Henri's pockets, not Dero's pockets and things like that. So he made the switch there. But uh, a brilliant guy, like you said, D, he's full of life, he's full of beans. Uh, what was he like to play with? Uh, you had to get your shape very organized behind the ball to make sure Dero did his work at the top end of the field.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Good you point. know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, uh, my, my good mate, Joe Ross, um, he's a huge TFC fan, went to every game in the first number of years. He loved Dero, but he'd always say that the worst thing for Dero would be if he had success early in the game, if he beat a guy one on one early in the game, because then he'd try and beat guys throughout the entire game. It yeah. wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> work out all the time. Yeah.
4: Yeah it's, yeah, it's fair. It's fair. If he scored early as well, it, it, you know, he, he, I wouldn't say he felt he'd done his work. But then he, he he might become a little bit looser or a little bit lethargic because he, he worked on his talents. He's, he's got natural ability and he had this eye for scoring goals. But, you know, once he was hungry, he'd want two goals, three goals, four goals, five goals, which is what happened in Montreal. So that was important that we just kept on top of him in a good way because he was a good guy to have in the locker room yeah. as well. But you needed to keep pushing him and, and reminding him that he's part of a team and we were a team because individuals don't win nothing even though they say they win top golden boot wards and stuff like that. But would you prefer my, my analogy I was used to my teams is would you prefer to win the golden Boot and be the best scorer in a team that finishes last? Or do you want to be a playoff team that wins a trophy at the end of the season? And, you know, to this day, no one has stood up to me in front of the group and said that they want to be a selfish player that wins their own individual trophy finishing bottom. Although, I still think there's one or two that maybe. Oh, there's two. one hundred oh.
3: percent. There's three <laughs> or one four sitting in, in that dressing room right going. Now, right? I'd win it. I'd, it. I'd do it. I'd take that golden boot right now. <laughs> yeah. my, my experience with Gen with Z, a there's a few. Boot. Yeah. Hey, but don't get me wrong. When I say nightmare, right? With with Dero, he was fun to fun to play with at times. But like when he got on the ball and he did, had his little magic and he was making things happen, he was it was great to watch. But like. Robert was saying tactically, you had to get it right behind them to allow them to have that freedom to to go in search of the ball and try to make something happen yeah. in the final uh, third. Pe- pe-
4: People get caught up in systems all the time. 4-2, 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, 3-4-3, 3-4-1-2, 3-4-2-1. At the end of the day, it's about players. All right? And we played a 4-4-2. If d played centre midfield next to me, I knew I was defending on my own in the middle of the park because his strengths were getting forward, getting on the end of, a bit yeah. like Frank Lampard, mm-hmm. you know, but Frank Lampard played in a 4-3-3. So he had definitely Claude McAlealy behind him as well as another midfield player. And they, they, they changed when they got forward. Whereas if you're playing a 4-4-2 and you're the central guy next to d Row, d Row his strengths are getting forward. So whether it's playing out wide or, or one of those two strikers, that's where he did his work. So yeah. Yeah, phenomenal ability, phenomenal talent. Great guy. Really good boy. You yeah, the and story. then I, I, was, I was getting overlapped if he played in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Did well, you help me. Help. Jimmy was trying to make, make D-Row play left wing back so Jimmy <laughs> could tuck in and play left side centre back. That's yeah. the problem. We just, had. One, just wanted to get on it and spray it.
2: Uh, I'm sure he appreciated <laughs> I that. I saw
3: him the other day at the match. He makes me laugh, d though. He's a funny, funny man. Should he should write a book
2: on. one day, Jimmy, shouldn't he?
3: What? Yeah. Yeah, he should write a book. Yeah. You know yeah. anybody that could do it for him?
1: It'd be clever. Mm i don't know. So there be some stories. Oh. In that book, D-Road My Life, published by ECW Press, uh, co-written by Brendan Dunlop with the foreword by Luke <laughs> Lewis.
4: <laughs>
1: in that book, in chapter eight, I know this because I just looked it up. Yeah. Uh, he tells a story after Vancouver, Robbo, in the change room, yeah. after that loss in Vancouver, he kicks the Gatorade jug. And uh, it, as soon as he hits it, he's like, I think I broke my toe. And he has to do this frustrating dance to seem like he's fine, to get back and sit down. But he said he was in the most excruciating pain. Embarrassment for the game and frustration yeah. with the game and then this physical pain that had manifested in his foot. He didn't think he was wow. going to be good for the next one. Right?
4: Wow. I remember him when he shouted because when he shouted and he did get angry a couple of times because, you know, he, he comes from winning winning teams and he, he has got that winning mentality in him, which is a great thing to have as a, as a player as well as a coach. So, he would get frustrated, but he'd say the same things. Uh, it'd be like three weeks later, he'd press play and he'd argue and he'd say the same things that he did three weeks earlier. So <laughs> part of learning as a player and and a team, you need to change, obviously, uh, mistakes you make and things like that. But when Diro went off on a rant, it was just, it was good. It was fun to watch.
2: <laughs> yeah. we, we should mention, for any listeners who just kind of like fast-forwarded through the first part of this podcast, Diro's fine. He's good. He's alive. You know, it sounds a bit like a bit tree right now. You know, <laughs> like regaling the memories of a of a fallen soldier.
1: He does actually send his apologies for not being able to join us. He was hoping to join us today, but his uh, his son's playing in a tournament. and He wasn't able to
4: this time. Yeah. yeah by, the by, way, way, by the way, by the way, his son. I've watched his son quite a bit recently, and his son's got got some potential as well. Uh, he's Ozzie, got. The, he's, yeah. yeah, he's got a little bit of Dero in him. I know that when he misses a chance, he blames the guy who passed him the ball. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen that as well. But he's, he can score goals. The boy, young boy can score goals. So he's got huge potential as well, I believe. He's
2: got yeah. some beauty so far. Absolutely. Yeah, um, he's results player. aside though, Robbo, it was a really important era, I think, for Canadian football. Those early TFC years and when Vancouver came into MLS as well. But there must have been really strange times as a footballer. You come from England um, and you're straight into this 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 party atmosphere, this great era for, for Toronto soccer, Toronto sports, but on the field, the results just weren't there.
4: No, they weren't. Uh, and it was a little bit new for me. Obviously, I joined a couple of months after Jimmy. It was Jimmy's hometown. So him going back, he probably knew a little bit more what to expect than myself. Uh, leaving the championship in Norwich uh, a couple of months after Jimmy did, uh, where I was, was comfortable. I, I can say that I was comfortable to, to experience something new and, when I when I first turned up and it was great and the euphoria around the place and the plans and the the ideas uh, by MLSE were exceptional they really were and then come to our first game and things like that it didn't work out but they were happy I remember after four or five games leaving the leaving the stadium and I think we'd lost to Kansas City at home two or three nil and walked out the stadium and the and the fans were brilliant they were like brilliant game great game and all that lot well. As we all know, you're in England. You lose two or three nil at home. You stay in the change room for an hour extra till uh, the fans leave. So there was a euphoria about the place to welcome professional football, Major League Soccer football in Toronto. You know, and, and the, the first two years of Toronto for me, Toronto FC were, were exceptional. You know, we had some ups and downs. We had some arguments. We had some disagreements. There were some good times. There were some bad times. There were, you know, things that I agree with and things I don't agree with. But I tell you what, you can't take that away from me you can't take that experience away from me. And there are times which, again, I could write a book on one season, never mind the last 10 years, of what happened in the first season we were at Toronto. <laughs> it, it
2: did yeah. seem from a distance that it was a good group. I mean, forget the results for a second here, but from from the media standpoint, I mean, Jimmy, yourself, deitch were great interviews. Marco, Paz were great guys. Sutz was a really good guy as well, happy to talk to the media. You know, Mo was doing his thing, you know, selling used, used cars. But everyone was open and prepared to accept the accountability, even if it didn't really come from the fans or from the media back in those days. It seemed like a really good group of guys.
4: I think it was. I think, as we mentioned a couple of times here, that when you are a senior player, part of your job, part of your mantra is you have to accept responsibility. You know, and if I didn't play well, and Jimmy will tell you if I didn't play well, I'll be the first one to put my hand up, you know. And and even when you do play well, as a senior player, you actually sometimes have to get into the group and say that you didn't play well. You know, you don't care what the manager thinks because if you, you know, there's players that will sit in locker rooms and are afraid to put their hand up because the manager's favourite question, do you think you performed well today? Hands up to anyone who thinks that they, they performed at their levels. And you'll get some players that put their hand up because they're fear, scared and fearful of playing next week. You know, we were never like that. We were, because if Jimmy put his hand up, I'd say you're having a laugh on you. You were terrible. Why? <laughs> right. But I know that he would come back at me and say, "Well, you weren't very good, Robbo, either." Not in that words. There would be a few explicit[s] as well and things <laughs> like that. But no problem. Uh, and that's the way we were. Uh, it was a really good group. We got on well off the field, but there was a respect factor on the field that if we weren't pulling our weight, we would get told. And because there were five, six of us, you know, there was no free passenger. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Do you know, Carl? What I I remember when we uh, I remember us sitting down one time. I think we're probably about maybe seven games into it and uh we were having a coffee and we we're more or less saying to one another we like we couldn't believe how athletic the league was yeah remember how fast some of the players were yeah and how stretched the games got because tactically yeah. so many players were just clueless <laughs> compared to what what we were used to back in back in the uk where it's very tactical yeah. member and organized and disciplined And some of those MLS games, you know, you start off, it was great, it was tactical, it organized, and all of a sudden, 50th minute,
4: the game's wide open. And you're standing there at times going, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, no, listen, it's fair. And you you know, as good as anyone now, every game that you watch, you know, it's if you watch it as a spectator and, and teams don't, they sit on the edge of their box and you know they play very defensive and compact and structures, and all these words get thrown out there, and they don't attack or they attack twice in a half and they have thirty percent of the ball. It's like, well, why are they not going for it And then you, as soon as you go for it, good teams pick you up because the game gets stretched, the distances are too big, yeah. you know there's too too much running uh, us as a team in our first year especially, we knew we had some young and uh, you know part of the part of coaching part of development is having young players uh, out out of the college within the system here in Canada we had come from the championship in England we you know we've played numerous hundreds of games in our lives and things like that so you know sometimes you don't get that in the UK as well if there's a special young talent that needs to play he'll play but he's probably played 15 20 games in the reserve team and mm. kicked the crap out of so he's ready for that uh, the physical demands here in MLS yep. because it was a physical league it was a, a very a uh, growing league at the time, but it was physical. Remember, Marvel Wynn was a perfect example. You know, what an athlete the boy was. You know, he could run all day and things like that. You know, and, and that league has continued to be like that. But there were times where, as you mentioned there, the, the distances were too big because if there was too much distance between Jimmy and the left winger, whether it was Dero, whether it was Welshie, you know, all <laughs> of these people, Welshie, who got bullied a few times on it as well. Yeah. You know, um, it would make it very, very difficult. And, you know, it's it wasn't an easy league back then. You know, it no. was about being organised. It was about being, sticking together. And we got our results from being a team, being together, sticking yeah. together, calling people out when we need to, encouraging people when we need to, supporting the young players. Because there was, there was a lot of good young players as well, but young players with inexperience. Uh, yeah. And when you're trying to grow up in the league, that's why the CPL is massive at the moment. When you're growing up in as a young player with no experience and getting thrown into Major League Soccer and it doesn't go your way in 45 minutes, then people, it's too easy to say, ah, he's not good enough. Well, that's that's easy, isn't it? He's not good enough. Well, how about working with him and taking time because they develop at different rates at different times.
3: Yeah. Do you know, for me, it's amazing to see where Major League Soccer is today and the standard of play. I mean, some of the games that I've watched recently, I'm just sitting here glued to the TV going, this is fantastic football. Now, for for you, Robo, you've you've managed in Major League Soccer, and also in Australia. What what's the big difference between the two leagues that you really noticed?
4: Yeah. Well, again, I wanted something different. You know, it would have been easy for me to try and stay in Major League Soccer after uh, 2018 when I left. I wanted a break after four and a bit years, four and a half years at Vancouver. I enjoyed my time there; great. I wouldn't you know wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, It was the right time for them. It was the right time for me to leave the football club because I took the club as far as I think I could. Uh, Sometimes things don't happen in the way you want it to happen, and that's the reality of life, so you accept that. I took a year out with my family. I've missed too much of my kids growing up because I was traveling. We used to do so many air miles and so many uh, cross-country flights. It was was very difficult. Uh, But then I got the hunger back. I wanted to coach again. I had one or two opportunities back home, and I thought, if I go back home, I'm going back home. I'm going to stay back home with my family. And I thought, do you know, I looked at uh, Japan. I looked at uh, across Asia and I thought, do you know what? There's an opportunity come up uh, at Newcastle. Uh, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to try something different. I'm going to experience a different culture. I want to learn something. I want to get out of my comfort zone. I want to try something. And I did. Uh, and I love my time there. Obviously it coincided with COVID, which was a disaster. Yeah. Uh, literally a week and a half after I agreed to go and, and stayed at Newcastle, um, the The borders near enough got shut down and my, I couldn't get my daughter in. So I didn't see my daughter for 18 months, which was another topic. So um, but I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. The experience I had there was great. Uh, it's a very similar league in relation to salary cap. You know, they try and do things. May, maybe the best way I can describe it is back in 2007 when we started um, with Toronto FC, the way the league was set up and I took a, an invested interest with Mo at the, at the time as a manager, not with, you know, with a salary cap, the way he dealt with trades in house, you know, things like that. It was because we all want to learn as, as, as you get older, you want to become a coach or a, a media pundit or an analyst, because that's what you like to do because, you know, nine times out of 10, you, you want to stay in the game. Um, it was like, it is there n- now was like back in 2007 to 10 in, in Major League Soccer. So they're, in, they're a few years behind. The the budgets aren't as big, um, but they're certainly really good players. And this is what I say. There's been an influx of young Australian players going into Scotland at the moment. You know, St. Mirren, there was three, two player, One player f- from Wanderers, where I was at, went to St. Mirren. One went to Livingston. I know the keeper from Central Coast has gone to Dundee United. I think Hart and Melothian have signed two or three Australian players. So there's talent. But... It's on a, it's a smaller scale. Like, uh, you know, I'm a big advocate of Canadian players here, big young can, can, Canadian players getting the opportunity to play. Well, they do that now with obviously the the CPL. They do that now with, the, with their second teams. They do that now in Major League Soccer because th- it shouldn't just be one avenue that kids can go through because if they don't make it, example, in my team, then they should be able to make it in Jimmy's team. And they might be able to go further in Jimmy's team by by taking a step back and going sideways rather than jumping into the fire. Uh, Because sometimes it's, you know, development paths are not just plain sailing. They're up and down, up and down, up and down. So um, it's a lot of similarities. um, A couple of years behind, will it get to the levels of Major League Soccer at the moment? No, I don't believe it will. Um, But they're in a good place. There's some good people there. And there's certainly some really, really talented young Australian players as well.
1: When did you know you wanted to be a manager, Robbo?
4: um poor oh, very early on to be honest maybe when i went to portsmouth in 2002 2003 i remember going to uh, i signed for harry Redknapp. i left wolves after eight years and people you know you make decisions in your life the one thing i've learned and one thing i don't is have any regrets you know you live live by your decision make your decision and look forward not back and i turned down a testimonial at wolves i could have signed a three four-year contract there um But I decided not to, and I decided not to simply because they signed two players, Alex Ray and Colin Cameron, in my position for two million quid each. And I Mm -hmm. thought I wasn't going to play. So I went to to Portsmouth. I joined Harry Redknapp. And after 15 games, I was in the team, then out the team because they signed Tim Sherwood. And I went alone a couple of times. But the way he managed me and spoke to me and made me think about how you can get in a player's mind was unbelievable. It really was. He, he twisted me up about 10 times in meetings when I used to sit in there with him. I went in there to say, right, I want to know why I'm not playing because that's what players do. They want to have a frank conversation with a manager. And I went in, Harry, why am I not playing? I come out of there. I've got no answer. But he told me he told me how good I was, how much of a great professional I was. The boys loved me, the staff loved me. I went out and I, I spoke to my agent. He goes, well, what, what's he saying to you? I said, mate, he said nothing. But he spent half an hour with me. I had a cup of tea with him in his office and he put his arm around me about 10 times. And I just felt warm. For, but I was happy for, him, for the next month. So mm. the man management style of it yeah. was, was exceptional that he had. And then coaching-wise, tactics-wise, I think you get players that are individual. Uh, mm. I think when you're an individual player, then going in to be a coach is very difficult sometimes because I don't think you understand what, what requirements are needed in certain roles. I think when you're a team player, and you know, I'll, I'll be honest enough to admit, and Jimmy will tell you, we were team players. You know we were trying to make players around us better. we didn't want the headlines I didn't want the headlines. I was happy to be part of a successful team and if If I made players around me better and i and I, I quickly found out that's what my talent was i was I was organized I, I could make players around me better. I could get demands out of players by talking to them and encouraging them and things like that. So probably about twenty four I realized I wanted to go into coaching and I started my notebooks like most coach young coaches do, and they start making notes and tweaks and Things like that, and and you, and you learn, and you learn on the job. By the way, when you are a coach, you know you make so many mistakes, and and I have, and I did, and, and, you, and but I won't have any regrets. I won't change my mind. I won't think I wish I would have played in and done that. No, you, you make the decision for the best of the team at some stage, and, and you live by it. I thought you
2: were going to say that you, you realized it when you are sitting on the couches on the Footy Show many years ago, <laughs> and realized you know what. Yeah, I want to be on the field once again. On the sidelines, you know the great insight that myself and KJ were providing. Thought, you thought, man,
4: were, yeah. <laughs> well, do you know what? Do you know what? What you'll find with with Beck, people will talk football. I'll talk football all day. You know, I'll actually. Yeah. You know, when you go out for a cup of coffee and you and you try and navigate the conversation into football, even though probably the person who knows nothing about football, um, you know, you you, you try and educate him. You try and talk to him. That's why I say. To have football people in football roles for me is very, very important. Uh, Whether it's a coaching, whether it's a sporting director, technical director, CEO, you know, if you've got an understanding knowledge, it's like me, I couldn't be a doctor. I couldn't be a brain surgeon. I couldn't be a a dentist. That's not my art. That's not my skill set. I think being in football for 30 years is skill set that you have. How good you are, you know, you leave that up to others to decide, but you know, you're confident with your ability and you enjoy talking football and being football and as you said, you enjoy, I enjoy watching games now as a fan. And there's Definitely. certainly a big game tonight as a fan because uh, I'm glad that you haven't asked me who I, who I want to win because that's a loaded question, isn't it? But it's, it's a great game for Canadian football today because, you know, whoever wins is going to be on top of the world and whoever doesn't, then it's going to be very difficult.
2: So, Robo, who do you want to win tonight? <laughs> Jimmy. TFC. TFC. <laughs> that's an
3: easy answer. <laughs> you know what I'm going for. I'm actually calling the game tonight. Oh yeah! Oh, Oh, nice one. Good
2: stuff. Hey, Robo. So you're in Vancouver, and there's this kid in the academy making some noise. Looks pretty decent. Um, Do you remember when you first saw Alfonso Davies and your initial thoughts?
4: Yeah, Yeah, listen, I do. I remember I was assistant at the time. Mike and Rennie was the manager, and um, it was brought to our attention that. Uh, a young boy in Edmonton was uh, one of the high potential players. And I think Martin had flown out there at the time and uh, tried to get it over the line, trying to get him involved with the academy. Because, you know, one thing is, I think you find here in, can- in Canadian football, in Australia as well, is there's a. Uh, how can I say this now? There is uh It's not like England. In England, when you are a talented young 15 year old, you go to the best club and you go to play at the highest level. You know, and sometimes uh, people have different views about the right pathway. Okay, but the right pathway is the right pathway in the UK because it's been explained to you and you understand that this is the right pathway. If I'm playing at a, a League One team and I get an opportunity to go to a championship team or a premiership team, that's where you go, because that is the next level for you. If they didn't think you were good enough, you wouldn't go. But if they thought you were good enough, you wanted to go and play at the highest level. Because if you play at a highest level, it individually helps you. But it also, playing with better players makes you a better player. All right? So it brings out something in yourself. So the young boy, Fonzie, I think he was 14, 15 at the time, come in. uh, And you saw pretty quickly he he was integrated into the academy. I think I remember speaking to Alan Koch at the time, who was the Whitecaps 2 manager. And I said, the boy needs to play in the Whitecaps 2. And he did. And he played three, maybe seven or eight games, three or four games. Then he trained with the first team. I think when he trained with the first team, I had Kendall Waston there. I had Pedro Morales. And as a as a, a manager, you, you speak to your senior players quite regular. And, and these boys were saying, oh, oh, this boy's a talent. This boy's a talent. He needs to train with us more. He needs to train with us more. Um, so he did. He trained with us more and that lot. And then, you know, I felt the time was right to throw him in. And, you know, it, it's... There's never a good time to throw a young kid in because there's always the he's got no experience. But how do you know until you throw him in? What I was prepared for is if I threw him in, I was ready that if it didn't quite work out, that there wasn't a thing about he drops and he doesn't, he's not succeeding and he hasn't made it. The plan was in place for him always to go to or remain in White Caps too. Uh, but as it happened, he, he was like a fish in water and we played Crystal Palace. He was exceptional. I remember speaking to Alan Pardew at the time, said, watch this kid. And Dougie Friedman uh, said, you should keep an eye on this boy. He was 15. And and to be fair, he was exceptional. Uh, but again, they compared him to the 15-year-olds over at Crystal Palace. And probably because he was new, he was a little bit behind them at the time. Um, but fast forward 18 months and like you said, he had every big club after him. So there was a number of people in his development. You know, there was a number of coaches that worked with him. Um, it wasn't just one person. I think his his coach in Edmonton was a big part of it. I think the academy in Vancouver was a big part of it. The first team staff, you know, we get, we get to play him, which was great. You know, I remember managing him. He was, he's a good boy. He's the same age as my daughter, so he's a very good boy as well. Respectful, humble. Uh, but he wanted to learn. He still likes ice cream and he still likes his PlayStation. He likes all of those little things that kids do. And you let him do it because he was a kid. I don't think he'll be doing it now in Bayern Munich up till two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> mind you. Um, but he's progressed and he deserves it. And, and, you know, we everyone played a part in it, but the boy's got himself there. The boy's made it himself because without having the right attitude and mentality, he's had a little bit of luck along the way, but he's deserved it. But yeah. it's always the boy who makes it. Yeah. I wonder if Dougie's kicking himself. Spewing. <laughs> Spewing. <laughs> he must be. To be fair, I spoke to him the other day because I went to watch the uh, palette a few, few months ago, yeah. actually, a few weeks. Palace v Chelsea in the semi-final. He got me tickets. It was great. And yeah. I still said, mate, bet you're pinching yourself. And he ah, oh, Robbo, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right... He wasn't the only one, by the way. He wasn't the only one. There was a number of teams kicking around. And listen, unless you're Bayern Munich, I think every team would say they wish they had Fonzie in their ranks. You know, another one, another one that got away, I think, from the Canadian teams was Jonathan David as well. You know, we weren't quite able to get him to Vancouver um, at the time when he was a young one as well. He went a different route. And that's, that's the beauty of football. You know, sometimes you can make it here within your country, and sometimes you go elsewhere. The other young boy at at Vancouver, I have to mention, who my players were really, really excited about, who I was, was Simon Collin, young boy, talented player. I think he's just signed for PSV at the moment, or made his deal permanently. A young boy, you know, again didn't play too much for Vancouver, but ends up at one of the biggest clubs in Holland. So you know, there's numerous ways you can make it. What what? I am certain about is there's so much talent here in Canada.
2: Yeah. I wonder with all your connections, do you think that the success of Fonzi and John David, Carl Laren, is Canada seen, being seen differently now as it was maybe five, even 10 years ago?
4: 100%, without a doubt. I think everyone's looking for the bargain. All the top European teams, they're all looking for a bargain. They're all looking for these players that they can sign for maybe five, 10 million turn into a $100 million players or £100 million players and if you sign five of them, some of the best talents all around the world for five, ten million each and one of them turns into 100 million, you've doubled your money. So that's the way that teams will look at it. I think what it's done, especially with the success of, of what John's achieved at Canada and he's done a phenomenal job managing to get to the World Cup, the first World Cup, and I know we'll get another one in four years uh, by being a host but he's done an exceptional job but T- the best Jimmy might argue with this, I don't know, but I think the best group of players that they've they've had uh, in the national team, the most talented group. Um, time will tell, obviously, how they get on at the World Cup because literally, I think they can go and be very, very successful uh, and get out the group, or they can actually yeah. not be successful and and it could, you know, they might not pick up a point. It's, but that, that's proper tournament football. Wales will be in the same boat. We can get through. Hopefully above England like we did last time, or we can finish at the bottom and not get a point. But you know, let's not get away. That is not a bad campaign. You know, if you go to the World Cup and it doesn't work out, it's it's tournament football's different. You know, the the national team's going in the right direction. They got the right man in charge. There's some exceptional talent there, really is. And I think there's more opportunities now. And that's one thing Jimmy will probably go to. Maybe yeah. there wasn't as many opportunities when he had his talented group of players back many years ago. Yeah.
3: I thought... You're spot on. If I look at this national team now, it it is arguably the, the the best team that we've ever ever had. And when you look at the players and where they're playing over in Europe right now, and for some of the top clubs in the world, it's fantastic to see. Yeah. And he's right because now what's happening with with David and and Alfonso Davies go over there, and a number of players that are playing in these top clubs. Everybody's starting to watch Canadian football now to find those next little hidden gems. And the Canadian Premier League's helping because now it's giving young Canadian players an opportunity to play professional football. And with one soccer as well, these games are getting streamed live around the world. So everybody's starting to, to zone in now on, on Canada, trying to find these players. Where when I was younger, you know, I was fortunate that I could go play over in Europe because I was a first generation Canadian and I had a passport that allowed me to, to travel and play. But I played with a lot of players that were better than me, had more talent than me, but just didn't have the opportunity because there was nowhere for them to go, and now with this league, and I'm a Major League Soccer, these players are getting the opportunity to develop, and then also make a name for themselves. But
4: what happens as well is, you know, Alphonso I think played sixty games, sixty games as a seventeen-year-old. You know, doesn't happen too often. It really doesn't. So what these teams try to do now is they try and identify, because the resources around the world from the major clubs are, are massive. You know, you don't just have five scouts. they probably got 500 scouts, the top clubs. And they go and try and find the 15- or 16-year-old. And as a as a smaller club or as a smaller country, and, and Canada are in relation to England or Europe, yeah. if if they get highlighted as an exceptional young talent, when they're 15, 16 and they decide to go to Europe, that's not a failure. That's not a failure by a Canadian club. That's not a failure by Canada soccer. That is just reality of what happens in football because, you know, people have this idea that uh, if you're 16, you should go through through the ranks and you should play for a professional team in Canada and you should play 50 games. Well, if you do that and you're exceptional talent, it's going to cost you $10 If you don't do that because someone's got a really good eye because they understand what their club wants, what the, the, the player profile is fitting for that club, they'll go and find them at 15, 16 years of age and they might pay 200 grand, all right? And there's, there's two examples there. Of, they're both right, all right? What you need to do as a, as a Canadian team, as a major league soccer team if you're in Australia as an Australian A-League team, is you have to com- try and find the best ones you can early and you have to commit to them and you need to try and get them through because from a business model, it's the best thing for you when you can get an Alfonso Davis coming through and making a lot of money on it. But it won't happen all the time. And you need to accept that you're going to win some and lose some. And the ones you lose, that's okay. You want the kids to go and develop and play, you know, because it's beneficial for the national team. But you have a you have an ability, and you should have the ability to find the best ones. And if you're not finding the best ones, then you're not doing it right. And that's the that's the biggest conundrum football has. And yes. as Jimmy said, they were better players than him, and I'll agree with him at that. They were better uh, yeah. than him, right? But uh, the, the mentality that Jimmy had installed in him and ingrained in him, you know, not many people have that. And how did you get that? You know, he's learned that, and, and I'll be the same. There were better players than me that didn't go on and fulfill what they should have fulfilled because they didn't have the right mentality. So, the mentality side of it is, is a massive thing. But, how do you teach mental fortitude? How do you teach them? You know, it, it's, yeah. it's up and down, it's adversity, it's, it's the emotional intelligence, it's all these little things, the, the little 1% as you need to try and get. Yeah.
1: Did you ever play with anybody that had a better or more infectious laugh than Jimmy?
4: <laughs> nice nah, to me, to me uh, I, I'll always stick to Jimmy's laugh because even when he was at Norwich and he, he was out of favour or at the team or suspended because he was doing that a few times as well, was <laughs> is, he was always laughing. So he didn't change his character when he wasn't playing. And that's a sign of a good person. That's a sign of a good teammate. You know, you're supporting your team. Listen, you're pissed when you don't play. All right? I get it. It's human nature. Yeah. But be pissed at the manager. Don't be pissed at your teammate. Your teammate is your teammate. He's the guy you need on your field to help. If you've got a problem with the manager, go well, speak to the manager. All right? But don't be annoyed with your teammates and take it out on your teammates because that's just being selfish. Uh, and that's one thing he was good at yeah. is, is being a good team player.
1: Would today's rubber want to manage Norwich Jimmy? I could
4: manage, e- manage him easy. Yeah, I manage him <laughs> There's easy. no fucking uh, Jimmy, chance. Jimmy, just, just don't put your boots on today, son. Just have I, a little jog around the pitch. I would, I would annoy the hell out of him. You would, you would, but I would make. I would be knocking up. on your
3: door every day.
4: Yeah, but Robo, you need me. You should would, put me on. <laughs> I would devise training plans and sessions where it's a definite overload on the right wing every single time. Three v two, and I would make him want to finish.
2: A hey, hey, Robo, if not for Jimmy, don't forget, if not for Jimmy, Gareth Bale may not be who he is today oh, because Jimmy oh, allowed Gareth to take his spot at Southampton all those years ago.
4: Yeah, he did, wasn't That's it? That's right. It's, yeah. It's, you know, and people, you know, there was, I read a comment online or something that um, Gareth Bale coming to the Major League, oh, listen, Gareth's a fantastic human being. Brilliant boy. Brilliant boy. Loves his golf, which everyone knows and everyone criticises him for him. The boy has been at Real Madrid for eight or nine years. He's won five Champions League. He's, he's been part of history there for him to get the criticism and, and players do. So it doesn't matter what level you're at, how good you are what nationality you are, you get criticized. Cause even if these type of players get criticized, you're you're hiding to nothing. Does he help himself and things like that will be the argument which journos and experts and and um, people have. Well, you know, that that's for him to decide. But he is one of the best players for me ever. I know I'm biased because I'm Welsh, but he to be in Major League Soccer is an unbelievable achievement as a TAM player as well let me say yeah, to a, a as a Sam player wow. but I also knew that he needed to play football between now and the end of the season for the World Cup but he won't finish I generally believe he won't finish after the World Cup I, I think he'll go again Wales need him I think LAFC need him yeah. um, and he is, he is I know Toronto have just done some big signings now with Insigne and Bernadeschi two, two unbelievable players Gareth Bell is up there with them without a doubt you know, Carlos Bella, there's some world-class players in this league at the moment, which is growth. And that's great. And what needs to happen now is it just can't leave the rest of the, the league or the players. Everyone gets dragged forward because if everyone gets dragged forward and upwards, then everyone benefits. And that's not just the players, that's the staff, it's the yeah. clubs, it's the media, it's everyone involved within the football goes, follows it and goes that way as yeah. well. But now, Gareth is be, certainly...
3: He seems to be genuinely happy and enjoying his football in L.A., He's actually come out a number of times and said, "You know, I feel I feel great. I'm really enjoying my football. I feel like I'm part of a family." Is what he's what he yeah. said. And you're right. And I think after the World Cup, and I could see him playing Major League Soccer for a number of years. Beautiful weather, great city. Yeah. Can live his life. He's not going to have the pressure that he no. did in, in Real Madrid. He's not under a microscope. Yeah, and he could just play football and, and enjoy himself.
4: Well, the biggest the biggest thing for for, for foreign players, uh, especially for European and British based players, is the, the Gerards, the Lampards, you know, the the Roonies that come over, and I don't know Wayne's back now or whatever, is, you know, the, trying to settle over here. It's not easy. It's not easy. Moving to North America, the idea of it, I think if you go in any English locker room, because of the NFL, because of the NBA, because of the NHL, everyone loves the American sports, Canadian sports. And you know, when it when it, there's a big boxing fight on in Vegas, oh we want to go to Vegas. So the, the idea of living over here is great. The reality of living over here is a little bit different because you are on the West Coast, is different to the East, five, six, seven, eight hours away from your family time difference. It's not as easy as you can pop if you, if, you, if you need a little bit of help or support, pop down the road two hours, three hours, and get that from your grandparents, from your parents. It's not as easy as that, all right? The first six months are the most important uh, for any player that comes over here, and I've said that to them. Um, if they can get past that stage and they're happy and their wife's happy and they don't miss the lifestyle of the UK, which is not, you know... There's positives to the UK, but there's also negatives to the UK, as, as Jimmy will tell you. The weather's one, You know, especially in winter, the amount of games is another. I, I just think Gareth's at the point in his life where he loves football. He loves going with Wales. By the way, I will say this as well. He loved playing for Real Madrid. All right? He just wasn't picked on numerous occasions, and that was the manager's choice because they were winning, yep. uh, and they went on to do what they did. So don't criticise, and I think people are unfair criticising Gareth Bale for not getting picked. All right. He was available and he was yeah. fit. And then when he went to Wales, because he was available and fit, he played. And the narrative was, I oh, didn't play for Real Madrid. Well, that was a manager's choice. So yeah. let's not confuse that situation. But him going to uh, LAFC, obviously with John Thornton and Will Kunz, who bought him there, a great club, obviously, a uh, great place to live. The weather's brilliant. The golf courses are great. Uh, he's a great boy to have in the locker room. And, you know, if, you if you're big players, embrace it. And make you feel welcome as a young player at that club, as a young person in the academy, then you're going to succeed. And Gareth certainly has got that.
2: Robo, how about you? You're back in uh, the Toronto area for the time being. Um, have you got the urge to get back into the
4: game? Uh, do you know what I have? I, I, you know, I've been off for about four months now. Um, obviously, I needed two months to. Um, decompress because I was away from my family for 18 months and that wasn't great Uh, that was an ideal situation so coming back spent first six weeks with my daughter then I went back to the UK because I needed to see my my mum and uh, and her husband and catch up with my brother which was good because I hadn't seen them for two plus years watch Wales qualify for the World Cup which was massive first time since 1958 um, so that's a, a major achievement for Gareth, for Aaron, for Robert Page, the, the hopefully new to be installed Welsh manager. Um, so it's going to be great for the Welsh public as well. So there's excitement there. But I'm back here now into my first North American home in Canada, in Toronto. I love Toronto. The people are great here. There's so much to do. There's you meet up with old friends. But have I got the itch and the urge? Yeah, I, I have. You know, I've you know I was always going to take a few months off. Uh, will I look at things? Yes, I will what do I want to do? I spent a lot of time when I was in Australia with the Academy, which was great. You know, the, the Academy director there was Ian Crook, ex Norwich, Jimmy, you know, might know Crook as well and uh, ex Tottenham player. So I spent hours and hours with him. I had a big impact really with the Academy there, which, you know, because we were all on lockdown. Uh, My son was in the Academy. You you tend to spend more time working more uh, because there was nothing else to do. We were in the facility and we sort of couldn't get out, which was great. So, uh, you know, I've, I've enhanced my ability with with the youth development side of it as well. And that's something that interests me, but I'll just see, I'll see what comes my way. Uh, I really will. I, I don't limit myself to a country. I don't limit myself to a role. I'm open to a number of things. I, I enjoy football. I love football. I talk football, I sleep football, I watch football, you know, all these things. So whatever comes, will come, but I'll go and I'll enjoy it and I'll embrace it and I'll get my, get my mind stuck into it. And that's what I do. So, don't go into a job thinking about something else is out there because you do that and you're going to fail.
3: Fucking hell, Robert. It was a yes or no question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You can still talk, can't you?
4: Hey? I can't. you just back.
1: So you're open to podcast then. That's also open to the world. Exactly. You could be a podcast host. If Craig's not going to turn up. I know who we're calling.
2: Exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, Robert, one more question for you. Final yeah. question. Uh, our, our good friend, Danny Diccio, yeah. He's just regaled the story numerous times to us. How uh, when he first oh. came to Toronto, he did all his due diligence on MLS and Toronto. Yeah. You know all his homework, spent you know probably many weeks studying where yeah. he's coming into, and then walked out to BMO Field and said, "Oh, it's not grass." Yeah,
4: um,
2: amazing. When enough. you when you came to Toronto, were you aware that it was a turf field?
4: Uh, I wasn't. No, <laughs> no. Um, you know, um, I wasn't aware now because. Um, when you say turf in England you just mean turf as the grass alright so I just assumed and that was probably right. me being a little bit naive yeah. like Deitch well Deitch is naive which we all know so <laughs> um, it was turf you know but again sometimes you make decisions and lifestyle decisions and troppling decisions and you know I, I, again I talk about turf and, and listen Major League Soccer's got a number of turf pitches Seattle, Vancouver, Portland you know New England so you have to deal with it you know Uh but Toronto, I didn't know it was, but we trained on it. You know, it is what it is. You, could, you Jimmy, used to complain on the turf when it's a flat surface; it was still bobbles. So there's no way you can win sometimes. Yeah. Do you know what the the heat
3: though? The heat that would come off that pitch was ridiculous. Yeah. Do you remember in the summertime, especially in Toronto, because it's so hot and humid? I remember it tacky, wouldn't it? It would yeah. get so yeah. sticky and hot. Your feet Your were feet. burning. Yeah. Do you remember that training session, JC's put on? <laughs> and we're out there training. And it's a hot, hot summer day, and I remember going. I can smell shit. Can somebody smell shit? It's like dog shit. We couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so I think it was was it Larry or someone someone's dog. They walked on the yeah. pitch, and it's shit I, right in the yeah. like all over where we were training. The smell was disgusting. Remember, we had to get somebody to come clean it all up. Is that Larry yeah.
2: Tenenbaum's dog? <laughs>
3: Yeah, we we don't know whose dog it was, but somebody was out there with a the dog, had a little walk. The dog had a shit. They left it. Well, Jesus. the staff set up the training session <laughs> with a shit in the middle of the pitch, and obviously didn't see it.
4: Yeah, there was some, there was some. Yeah, it, the surface was was different. You know, there's some really good surfaces now, mind you, the turfs. As you said, the, the, yeah. what do you they call got the them? hybrid too? Don't they? They have yeah, and you have got the little black bits in it, which obviously make it softer and stuff like that. You know, I can't complain about turf because I spent five years with Vancouver, which was turf. You know, and, and we used it to an advantage. And it was. It certainly was because we knew players didn't want to play on it or, or after 60 minutes their legs get a little bit tighter, <clears throat> especially with the heat, with the roof open or roof closed. And that will be a big thing today and Toronto will have to deal with that. You use it to your advantage like home crowds, like pitches, like uh, weather conditions, like humidity, all of these things. So you have to use them to your advantage. But While while you're talking about Deech, I think it it makes me smile now that I think Deech won the award of top goal scorer, didn't he? Uh, For Toronto, with six goals, that would never happen (laughs) now, eh? I've got to laugh at that. He takes his trophy with six goals. Brilliant.
2: (laughs) A golden boot winner. I was just really hoping that uh, that you you did prepare and were aware that it was grass, just to make Deech look bad. But now now you did the same. I'm feeling a little bit. Guilty for for ripping him over. The well, uh,
4: to be fair, I should have probably uh, I should, should have probably done the opposite to what Mo told me, shouldn't I? That's the reality. Yeah, I, I listened to him too much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Robo, thanks so much for this, mate. This is a lot of fun. Um, we want to get you back at some point for sure, definitely before the World Cup, and get some some, yeah. some your breakdown of Wales, um, which is for a sure. great story. It, it really is. But yeah, great job. Good luck uh, in the the near future, the distant future, and yeah, we'll chat real soon.
4: All right, thanks, guys. Thanks well, for having Robbo, me. Good seeing you.
2: That is Carl Robinson, former TFC, New York, Vancouver, Newcastle and Australia, and of course, Sydney as well. What's next? We'll find out. Maybe maybe a Jimmy Robbo coaching duo somewhere up here where, where football's growing. Hey, Jimmy, what do you think? Yeah, no, great, great guy. I mean, look, we
3: we talked to, uh, you know, you asked him a question about being a manager. You could always see that Robbo wanted to be a manager. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, he was very calculated. Even after games, when you sit down, you, you debrief, um, and, and you could just feel, and you can sense that someone wants to be a manager because they have a passion for the game. And, and Robbo definitely does have a passion for that game. And, um, you know, you could, you could tell a mile away that he was going to be a manager. And, uh, I think given another opportunity. I think Robbo would be uh, a great manager. And I think he's got a long career uh, ahead of him. Um, and I thought he was fantastic when he was at the Whitecaps. I thought he'd done a hell of a job. With that, with that organization. Um, and it would have been good to see him you know, there for another few years on top of how many he was because I think he could have made a difference.
1: I can picture him at the, looking for a football conversation in line at Starbucks. And here's someone behind him order 11 coffees. He turns around all excited and it's just a construction worker. Ah,
2: thought I had oh, a good yeah. football conversation coming there.
3: And he, do, he doesn't mind talking. He can talk.
2: <laughs> he can talk. You know, well, like I said, when, when the footy show first started out, we'd bring him Robbo and Deitch when we could on the couch on the Sunday. And uh, it was always a great co- great conversation, you know. Little, the, was it? I was little and large, that doesn't make, make much, much sense, but they worked really well together, the two of them. And it was always it a fun, fun TV, A.B. Back in those days, yeah, many, fun. many years ago now. Christ, that's like uh, 14, 15 years ago now. <sighs> Jesus, what happened? Anyway, thanks, boys. <clears throat> Excuse me. That was fun. We're back uh, once again on Wednesday night. Of course, then we'll look back on what's, being either a famous Vancouver win or a famous Toronto win. Uh, big games. You know, this offseason, with what's happened at TFC, the signings, um, with, with the national team drama, the summer's the sum kind of flying by, isn't it, at the moment? We are always managing. So. Yeah. But no, remember, it we discussed, by. we were talking about, you know, well, should we go down to maybe one or two shows a week during the, uh, the offseason? We thought, well, eh, we'll, well, we'll find a way to get four out, maybe. They're easy pieces of cake well it helps when you've got you know
1: jimmy and craig would just stumble into these great stories
2: yeah right? exactly. we say
1: we say something about uh you know some spanish player and oh jimmy's got a holiday story from the, from the, the town <laughs> that they're from
2: great all right boys we are back on wednesday as per usual like us subscribe to us keep buying newspapers and cheers for listening